Today's guest is a champion for people who have a cancer diagnosis. She is Dana Hudson. She's founder of Cancer Champions, LLC, helping individuals and families gain clarity in the confusion of a cancer diagnosis. She compassionately consults, educates, and facilitates for individuals and their loved ones as they navigate a complicated healthcare system, empowering them to make life-altering decisions with confidence. Prior to founding Cancer Champions, Dana amassed a wealth of oncology expertise over a 25-year career with the biopharma industry. She combines her unique knowledge of the healthcare system with her compassion for people experiencing a disruptive diagnosis to provide private medical navigation and educational seminars. Dana is a Campaign Zero Families for Patient Safety community educator, immediate past president of the National Association of Women Business Owners in Greater D.C., and serves on the boards of Saharasa Deepika Foundation for Education and Samaritan Ministry of Greater Washington. Dana received her bachelor's degree in marketing from the University of Alabama, and she lives with her husband and teenage children in Mason Neck, Virginia, and is passionate about serving the underserved, increasing healthcare literacy, and spending time with family, riding horses, and Jesus. And I am so happy to have her here today because she is also going to be a contributor to our upcoming charity patient safety book titled Highway to Heart, Humor, and Honesty in Healthcare. So let's bring her on. Welcome to the show, Dana. Thank you, Pat, for having me. Oh, it's my, my pleasure. So in your introduction, I talked about the biopharmacy industry. You come to advocacy from the biopharmacy industry. How is biopharma different from the pharmaceutical industry? That's a good question, and it it confuses a lot of people, and it basically is how the the medicines are made. Pharmaceuticals are typically um, made from, like, chemicals, chemical compounds, lots of chemistry. Medicines that come out of the biotech field are based more on living organisms. And so there was a boom in the biotech industry for medicine right around the late 1990s, early 2000s, because of the mapping of the human genome. And it gave researchers and scientists many more targets and a lot more information about our own DNA and our own genetics. So a lot of the medicines then were formed from more of a bio, more from a living organism perspective, more than a a chemical Mm -hmm. chemistry what events caused you to become a patient advocate with a specialty in cancer? I spent my career in oncology because that's where the, the research and the science and the development was happening. It was very dynamic. And so I, uh, my whole career was in oncology. Then my father was diagnosed with cancer. It changed my perspective from a delivery side to the caregiver family side because it's scary and it's very emotional. And unless you have, and even if, and even if you do have a healthcare background, when it's you, personally, it just changes everything. And so that was that was the catalyst that drove me into advocacy. Once something does happen to you personally, whether it's yourself or a family member, it becomes something different and causes you then to ponder, what can I do to make this better? Right, mm-hmm. right. And, and the gaping hole became very apparent to me as I was helping daddy. The sophistication of what they were talking about, as well as the complexity of just navigating through the healthcare system, it, it is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> now, you say something very interesting on your website, that on average, eight minutes is all the time you have for an appointment with your oncologist after your initial visit. How could anyone navigate a complex diagnosis and treatment options in eight minutes? 
Right. And that's where advocacy really can help because somebody with expertise like mine is able to help people best prepare for that eight minutes. So you're asking smart questions. You're asking relevant questions about your diagnosis and your disease. And doctors have a tendency to give informed patients even a little bit more time. Actually, it's when people come in with um, all of their internet findings and, and they're just kind of rambling through their appointment and before they know it, the oncologist is gone and they haven't really had their true questions answered or they've spent time talking about things that aren't even relevant to their, to their disease. So having an advocate help you prepare so you maximize that eight minutes. I, I tell my clients, it's like, treat it like a business meeting. Right. You wouldn't go to a business meeting unprepared without your questions or your plan or your PowerPoint or whatever. And that's fascinating that you say that an informed patient tends to get more time with the physician. And I guess that makes sense. Right. Because they appreciate it. Mm -hmm. They appreciate when a patient comes in and is, is advocating for themselves because the days are gone now where physicians are going to do a lot of research on your behalf and then say, okay, these are the options I found for you. This is what I think, you know, you should do. I can't tell you how many clients I have that'll say, well, I don't have anything else for you. Here's the website for clinical trials. Good luck. Mm -hmm. uh, literally. So if, if you've done some of the work, if you've done some of the heavy lift for them, they'll engage. A client of yours said you wouldn't climb Mount Everest without a Sherpa. So there you go. She did. I mean, it was a brilliant analogy, actually. When I saw that on your site, I'm, I thought, yes, this resonates. I get that. It makes mm -hmm. perfect sense. Like, I think about that. You train and train and train, and you go, I've never climbed, but you train and you're, you're in your best shape ever to get up the mountain. But even being in your best shape, you still need a guide. Mm -hmm. And that's what I tell my clients. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are. None of that matters if you don't have all the education and insight in oncology right? Because you don't know what you don't know. And just like you're going up the mountain, the Sherpas know where the pitfalls are. The Sherpas know how to get around things and, and the best way to go and the best way to go about it. And that's how I like an advocacy. I like that analogy very, very much. I also read a recent blog post that you wrote that discusses the question that many patients wonder about, and that is, why isn't my doctor doing this? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that, because I mm -hmm. think that's a very, very common thought. I don't know that people put it out in words, but I'm sure they think it. They do, especially with older patients, people that remember the olden days of medicine. My grandfather was um, a GP and he used to make house calls. I mean, people that remember that time just cannot fathom why the physicians aren't doing certain things for them that was routine back 20, 30 years ago. And it's because all the regulations that have been placed on physicians and the changes in the insurance structures and, and all the regulations, doctors are spending much more time now with administrative work, things that are required by government and things that they have to fill out and more so than actually face time with a patient and it's just the reality of the industry now and so it's not that your doctor's lazy or they don't want to spend time with you but they literally don't have time which sounds ridiculous but it's absolutely true it's the complexity of the system and all of the checkpoints and all of the insurance regulations and all of those things eat into the time that a physician can actually spend with you and because the reimbursement schedules have changed, it takes more patience for them to meet their payroll and to meet all the, their requirements. So they have to see a lot of people in order to break even. And, you know, are there bad apples everywhere? Of course there are. But for the most part, your doctors are doing their best. They're stretched. 
Well, yes, they're fighting the insurance situation, too, where you, the doctor sends you a bill for $200, but the insurance company will only pay 100 And so then the doctor or the practice has to double up so that they could make what they need, as you say, to make payroll. So they're caught in this system situation as well. And which is why I think, you know, we're seeing trends of we need general practitioners. Medical students are not rushing to become internists or general practitioners. Even some of the specialties, you know, that used to be, quote unquote, you know, the, the money, where the money was, that's even going away. There's not a lot of money like there used to be in medicine anymore. Right. So I guess what the reason I say that is the myth of, you know, your doctors are gouging you and they're making all this money hand over fist. And the cost of healthcare is not necessarily because the physicians are being paid exorbitant amounts of money. You also mentioned something about the older population and how times are different, say, even from when your grandfather practiced medicine. You throw in technology, especially with older people, and you've got this physician and the nurse, everybody's clacking away and clicking away on the computer, and nobody's taking the time to even look or speak eye to eye with the patient. That's something else that adds to that question. Why is my doctor doing this? It's because they're doing that. So the physicians are, they are, they're distracted. Mm -hmm. uh, they're distracted, which is another reason why it's good to have an advocate, sometimes even having an advocate in the room with you because by asking questions and engaging the physician, a lot of times will force them to, you know, interact one-on-one -on -one with you. It's when you don't have good questions or you don't have follow-up questions and they just are clicking away and then they just roll their electronic medical record out the door and that's the end. But if you have thought about your appointment ahead of time, you have good questions and you have follow-up questions, then it forces them to engage. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk about caregiving. The human resource statistic is that one in six people in the workforce are acting in some informal caregiving capacity. I was one of those. Mm -hmm. I was one of those statistics. It's true. The numbers are kind of appalling. So our demographics are aging, right? We're, we're aging. We're an aging population. And so the cancer statistic is one in three of us will directly or indirectly be affected by a cancer diagnosis. So that's just the cancer statistic. And then if you take that and, and combine it with one in six Americans in the workforce, and this is coming from SHRM, the Human Resource Management, is acting as an informal caregiver. A lot of people are spending time researching things while they're at, at work, or they're just nervous about being away from somebody who, who they're caring for at home. So they're distracted in the workplace. And so one way advocates can help here is by hiring a private advocate then you can focus more on your job and let the advocate do all these other things, the multidisciplinary, you know, appointment scheduling and transportation and interviewing in-home caregivers and all of the things that are distracting the workforce can easily be facilitated through an advocate on their behalf. And there are many concierge benefits programs are starting to look at advocacy as one of the concierge benefits that are being offered in the workplace by HR departments. That would be so, so helpful. This so hit home for me, Dana, because during my mom's four-month hospital ordeal due to a post-surgery missed heart attack diagnosis, I stayed with her nearly 24-7, and then again for the next 10 years, going to doctor's appointments and more hospital stays and emergency room visits. I mean, just too many to count. But during those initial four months, my insurance license came due. I had an employee benefits company, and it came due for 40 hours of continuing education. 
well, I barely slept for 40 hours in all those months, mm. let alone let alone have the time to brush up on money laundering. So I lost my insurance license. I lost my business. And therein lies the case for hiring someone to help ease the burden. You know, I'm living proof of that. Oh, Pat. Yeah. And unfortunately, your story is all too common, mm-hmm. especially now, too, because many of us, like myself, my, I, my mom was just diagnosed with lung cancer. And so now we're getting ready to go through this again. I also have kids, you know, and so luckily my kids are in college. But it's that sandwich generation, too, where you, you know, you're being pulled at both ends and you need to keep your job going because you're trying to pay college tuition. But you also want to be a good support caregiver for your, your parents. And the struggle is, is out there for many, many people. Yep. Well, you even say that the patient advocate service, your service, allows daughters to be daughters and sons to be sons yes. and not something else that you're just not prepared for. Yes, yep. and that and and that is such a gift too, where you can just come alongside your your loved one and just be, mm-hmm. just listen to them, or just spend time with them, or you know you're not frantically running around or on the computer or on the phone and making appointments, and and in some way that makes you feel good because you feel like you're doing something for your loved one, which is there is something to be said for that. But if you let an advocate at least do a lot of the busy work for you, and then all you have to do is come alongside, and you know the options are laid out or the information is laid out and then you and your loved one make the decisions together Mm -hmm. but you're not the one frantically pulling all the information together for the decision but you don't have to do all the the busy work and all the information gathering because most of the time you don't know what you don't know so you're really wasting time just learning exactly you're spending time learning and you're so worn out from learning and doing as you said there's no time just to be and to be that daughter and to be you know loving and warm and and emotional because you're so busy being busy right yep yep Uh, quite a lesson Well, now, Dana, you are also a community educator for Campaign Zero, an organization to educate folks to reduce medical harm. And this has been a long, long conversation about reducing medical harm. Why is this still such a critical issue? So so Karen Curtis, obviously, is my mentor there at Campaign Zero, and she's done a fabulous job with this organization. And what Karen says and the information and the research that she's done is our system is so complex now. And so if you think about it back in the, you know, early days, there was one nurse to one patient and there was one, you know, you had your physician was overseeing your care, your general practitioner or your internist was overseeing your care and they came to see you in the hospital and things were much simpler. Now they have things called hospitalists and these guys are like quarterbacking your care while you're in the hospital, your private GP or whatever might, they probably won't even see you while you're in the hospital because it's not the way the system works anymore. There's a specialist for everything. There's all kinds of technology. We have lots of testing and assays and things we just didn't have before. And so what's happened is in the complexity of the system, um, some of the simple things that have really big negative impact are falling through the cracks. So things like, you know, making sure everybody's washing their hands that comes in to touch your loved one while they're in the hospital, things like that fall through the cracks, even though there's, you know, the hand sanitizer at every door, just things about ordering too many tests 
because the right hand isn't talking to the left hand. And so the cardiologist wants one test, but then the orthopedist wants another test. And actually, they could have just used the same test to get the answers that they needed. I mean, just things like that. So the answer to the question is we are a reactive healthcare system. We're not a proactive healthcare system. So we just kind of react to issues as they pop up. And in reality, there are some really basic things that you can do as a care partner in the hospital to to minimize the negative effects that cause the reactions. What it sounds like is patient safety is so elusive due to the problem of many hands. There's just too much. Yeah. So there's an example, like if, you, if you've been in a hospital lately, it's so loud in the hospital because there is a bell and an alarm for everything. There's an alarm on the bed so the patients don't get up and have be a fall risk. And there's alarms on the, on the IV pumps. So, and there's an alarm for the oxygen and there's an alarm for your cardiac and telemetry. I mean, and some of the nurses now have actually, they call it alarm fatigue because there's so many alarms that you don't, some of the nurses just, they don't even hear it. They don't even hear it because it's like white noise. And so if somebody's not there alerting somebody that your alarm's going off in your, you know, in your patient's room, there are people that have died because of oxygen and, and things that, you know, because they haven't, because the nurses don't even really hear it anymore. It's like white noise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I even read a statistic that nurses, every 90 seconds, they're responding to a false alarm. So it's too much. Well, right. And that's why a care partner helps because if you're in there long enough, then you realize, okay, which is the alarm that's just, you know, the pump and it's not an emergency, but she needs to come in and turn it off, but it's not like an emergency. We just need to help each other in the hospital. We can't just rely on um, the hospital staff anymore. Mm -hmm. You, You can't, you just can't leave your loved ones in the hospital by themselves. You just can't. Isn't that a statement? But I think conversations like we're having here today, it just kind of raises the uh, awareness. I guess that's how changes are made. You're doing a great service, Pat. Just your radio program is, is awesome to be able to just get this information out there. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've been doing this for 10 years and uh, it just never gets old. So there's always something new to talk about and exciting people like yourself that are doing wonderful work. So I so appreciate this opportunity to share you. I want to make sure before we begin to wrap up that we didn't miss anything that you wanted to talk about today. No, I mean, I, I just feel very privileged to have the opportunity to speak on private patient advocacy. You know, we are out there not just for cancer. I mean, that's my niche, but there are wonderful advocates out there, private advocates for all manner of of medical conditions. There are also private advocates out there that will help with billing and insurance issues. Just anything healthcare related, a private medical advocate or a private patient advocate is worth looking at because they really can alleviate a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, and they make you a smart healthcare consumer. And that's the whole goal, right? The whole goal is just to be the smartest healthcare consumer you can be. And a private medical advocate or a private patient advocate can help you do that. And circle right back to what you said at the beginning is that you're probably going to get longer conversations, maybe even a little bit better attention and better care if you have somebody with you to ask those intelligent questions and not waste time during those appointments. So very, very, very valid point. So where can folks go then to find out more about you and your work and how can they contact you? I'm at cancerchampions.com. This is an industry that's up and coming, and I think you're going to be hearing much more about private advocacy in in the next decade. So there's directories you can find us, and you can find me at cancerchampions.com. 
Excellent. So we are speaking with Dana Hudson. It's H-U-T-S-O-N. Dana Hudson and her website is CancerChampions.com. Dana, you're a blessing. Thank you so much for today. Thanks, Pat. I appreciate the time. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to SpeakUpAndStayAlive.com. That's SpeakUpAndStayAlive.com.